Hey everybody, I'm Doug, that's Connor, and this is the Bethel School District Presents Podcast. Today we're talking about technology. Connor, you and I both grew up in the 80s. A ton of technological advances happened to us throughout that decade. I had a ton of different toys and electronics I played with as a kid. My parents actually got an Apple IIe from our school district. They had a fire sale probably, and uh, my parents got that. So that's what we got to use at home, played Oregon Trail. Before that, we had a TI-99, Texas Instruments 99 uh, computer, if you can hear my air quotes there. That was hooked up to our TV and played games through cassette tapes, which was pretty wild. But my all-time favorite piece of technology, I think my mom actually still has it, it's about the size of a brick, and it was a calculator that my dad had. It came in a leather case, and it was not a scientific calculator, just your typical nine-button calculator. And my sister and I used to use that. We'd go into the closet and use that as one of the tools to take us into outer space. We had great imaginations. Doug, we're basically the same age, and you sound like you're from the greatest generation. Those aren't <laughs> technological advances. Okay, whippersnapper. How about you? What's some technology that you enjoyed as a kid? Well, actually, mine, just thinking about it, mine, not much better. I loved when I was I was probably 10 years old. My dad bought me a vibrating football field table. You'd put all your little football guys on there and you'd hit go and it would vibrate and they would just move any which way. So tech from about the 1950s. But for a 10 year old me, that might as well have been a PS5. So pretty amazing that. And of course, who can forget getting the NES as a youngster changed everything. Super Mario. That kind. And that voice is the voice of our special guest today. Joining us in studio is Chief Technology Officer Mike Christensen. Mike, I want you to weigh in on this opening conversation. For you, what was your favorite piece of technology growing up? For me, it's really a combination of the evolution of video games. Uh, I remember the whippersnapper here. 1979, I was playing my uncle's Pong machine, and I thought I'd never seen anything like it, and that was amazing. And then, of course, we got an Atari 2600. We got a first edition Nintendo. Of course, I you know, saved my own money for the Super Nintendo and, and, and on and on. Growing up and seeing how the games have evolved to where now my son's on a gaming PC with graphics and talking to people across the country playing the same game together where if you could get one controller to work and get the game to power on and can stay up past 8 o'clock, you're excited um, and had 16 colors and it was amazing. So for me, I think that, you know, that evolution of video entertainment has uh, been something I've enjoyed growing up uh, watching a lot. The tech advances just keep on coming, and 2023 has been a huge year for artificial intelligence. AI has been everywhere. It's in the news. It's in our classrooms. And while some people think it's a useful tool, others see it as the end of civilization as we know it. So to kick things off, which sci-fi future are we heading towards? Terminator, The Matrix, something else? Is AI going to be a tool or a terror? Well, that's a big one. Predictions here. Uh, I, I think you're seeing you know, kind of both on sides that could be all of it all in one. Under one umbrella, it could all be there. One, we already have a Roomba that's learning how to best, you know, mop and vacuum your floors. It knows the most efficient route. It knows how to avoid items. It does have machine learning, your thermostats, know when you're home, know when uh, what temperature you like, the auto set. Um, so we have all these artificial intelligence devices already, and we really just accept them and then love them. And then we're also seeing automated robots, whether they're making pizzas or they're guard dogs. And then you can start seeing, well, if you arm a guard dog, how dangerous that could be, right? We all seen RoboCop growing up. Um, and for the young listeners, sorry, go rent RoboCop. It's good. Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. To me, like the new version now is we have this education component. Uh, we've had some 
assessments that were adaptive in the past, where if you answer a question one way, it'll change the next question. So we've had iterations of AI. We just haven't had as powerful of algorithms up to this point. And we've hit like maybe like the precipice of data collection. So tech companies and media companies have been collecting our data willingly and unwillingly from us for decades now. And now that you have another computer that can mine that data, interpret that data, and try to make sense of that data, we're seeing different results and different implications that you can have for that. I think that, you know, if we figure out how to use it properly, it'll be a tool for good. You know, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, he wants a matrix, right? He wants the people living in the metaverse. And I think you have a lot of people saying, give me the VR goggles and it's a, a nice escape and it's an adventure or it's a virtual field trip from a classroom. So there's a lot of pieces that are going to be there and we got to figure out how to use, utilize that tool. What about AI has given you pause and made you think like, hmm, are we really going in the right direction? Is there something that's come out that has made you worry at least a little bit? The misinformation that's available through just normal social media and so-called news sites is vast. And it's very hard for the current consumer to decide what is real and what's not real. I think AI is going to make that even more difficult, whether it's doing videos, fake videos, manipulating voices, creating scenarios or responses that people don't know how to fact check or can't fact check and they just believe it as truth. When we know some AI engines, when they have gaps, they make up the gap and the gap is just totally made up by the AI engine. And so those uh, consumers, whether it's students, your grandparents, yourself, what's real and not real, I think is going to be really increasingly harder to discern for most of us. And I think that's the kind of the danger that we face with AI of, of what's real and what's not. We're a district that has over 20,000 iPads in the hands of our students. AI is no doubt on the list of the many things that you have to worry about in our classrooms. Uh, The tip of the iceberg being, how do we keep students from using AI to write a term paper? We used to worry about students Googling papers and copying and pasting. Uh, We went through the whole website where you could submit a paper request and someone is paid to write your paper. Uh, so we've had plagiarism at all levels. I, th- I think, you know, education around plagiarism and authentic work is always going to be super important that we, we have to maintain. Is it a new way to cheat? Absolutely. Is it easier to, to cheat? Uh, absolutely. It's faster. You can write a five-paragraph essay in 15 seconds probably. The trick is, like, how good are the prompts? So AI is only as good as the input that you put into them. So what kind of question, what kind of information are you putting in for the paper to include? At the same time, having a first draft option, I mean, a lot of people have writer's block. How do I start my paper? Well, you could have AI write you arguments, and you could have AI write you an introduction that might get you going. And as a teacher, if you're facilitating that and saying, hey, it's okay for you to utilize it, and here's how you could utilize it to help support your writing, then there's probably a rewriting process. And as an ELA teacher, they know their students. They know their students' work, their writing. They know when someone's copied a paper or resubmitted a paper from last year's senior group. And AI does generate individual uh, responses, but they are... They are what they are, and you can kind of see a repetition of words, maybe phrases and items that might trigger you. And as an instructor, if you've seen your, your students work in, in other ways, you'll know that a student just didn't become this level of writer in one minute, and you know they haven't had four rough drafts, but now their final 10-page essay is complete. And so I think there's some of that. We also have some tools. We have a plagiarism tool called Turnitin that looks for papers that have been collected off the Internet. They now have a new tool built in that detects AI-generated responses. Does it catch everything? No, but it's like anything else. It's going to be a cat-and-mouse game. 
And some students are going to always try to get around, whether it's passing a note in class in our day or now using chat bots to, to create their paper and so forth. So I think we'll see an evolution of these tools and strategies for our staff. But I think if we learn how to utilize the technology to help students be more efficient, if I have a student who struggles to read, I can take the same text and have the chat bot translate into a lower grade level reading level. Now I'm creating accessibility. I'm being able to maybe differentiate the questions for all of my students in a short period of time instead of me changing them all and having to spend hours upon hours. As a teacher, now I have tools that maybe now help my students individually at a faster rate than I could before. So I think it's really like, how do we use this tool for good, not evil, right? So I think that's kind of be our next steps is educating teachers. How does it work? What are your resources? How would you use it? How do you teach your kids about it? Because one of my other concerns is that we don't do this part for our students, other countries are. And so how do we keep our students at a level playing field, not lose an advantage in the global market, and be ready for the next generation? Because every product you're using, including Google, Microsoft, a lot of our educational products already are already integrating the AI tools. And so just blocking one site doesn't work. They're integrated across the spectrum now, whether it's even your target search site. It's using AI now behind the, the scenes to help you shop better, right? And so uh, at least that's the, the idea, spend more money, really. So uh, again, we have to get ahead of the game if we can and help our, uh, our teachers to understand what it's, what it's all about and how it benefits our kids. Yeah, that is daunting stuff. There's a lot on our plates, that's for sure. Uh, I do want to take a moment, though, to thank our voters for approving the renewal of our technology levy last year. That levy funds our one-to-one iPad program. This summer, we were able to replace 10,000 of those iPads, so students are staying up to date with the latest technology, as well as all the security upgrades the new devices offer. Talk about daunting tasks. Tell us about what receiving and prepping 10,000 different iPads looks like for your department. That's got to be a busy summer. You know, it's one of these processes we do every three years. We recycle and replace iPads at certain grade levels. So elementary is our 10,000 student population. And we do it all at once so that way all of our students at the same grade level have the same device and can complete the same assignments and applications. So it does have this little bubble for us because the next two replacements are 5,000 and 5,000 roughly for middle school and high school. But it does keep all of our students and teachers on, the, on an even playing field and equity, uh, equitable access across the district. It starts in March. We have to negotiate prices, sign contracts, have legal reviews, go to the board for approval. Then we have to you know, get shipping dates, delivery times. 10,000 iPads takes a lot of space, so we struggle with warehouse space in the district already. So that's a challenge in itself. But luckily, when you're replacing iPads, collecting the old ones is easy because we're just collecting what we have and we inventory them, and then we resell them to vendors that also resell them to other people. And so we return that money back into our, our, our levy fund so we can help replace more devices. And then we put out the new ones. And so right now we have some automation where we're able to script and send out the commands to preload the iPads, be ready for elementary kids to use, assign them to individual students. And then we do that over and over again until start of school. But moving and transporting 10,000 iPads and really 20 this summer is a large task. And so a couple of things we do is uh, we have some summer intern program opportunities now. We have uh, about four or five high school kids that join us every year, different ones usually. And they do a lot of our moving stuff, cleaning, unboxing, getting rid of cardboard. And they get some technology interests as well that we support as far as uh, setting up computers and that kind of stuff. But really, it's a really opportunity for them to get their foot in the door, learn about 
everything we do in technology because it does include sweeping and it does include fixing a broken screen, right? So it's all of the above. And so it's a, it's a really good intro opportunity. So you kind of combine all those areas and we're able to get those done over the summer. That is a lot. I didn't even think about the unboxing of all the iPads. I, just, <laughs> I don't know why, but that in itself just seems ridiculously daunting. I love that you're giving students that opportunity, though. That's a, that's a really cool thing. Students aren't the only ones using technology in our district, of course. We have more than 2,600 staff. We're actually the ninth largest employer in Pierce County. Last year, we saw an uptick in disingenuous emails. So let's talk a little bit about how to spot spam and scams. So when the superintendent, Tom Siegel, when he sends me a secure email message, I need to click here to read it. I should always open that, right? Yeah, absolutely not, actually. Yeah, that's a great question, and I love the sarcasm. Scam emails are, there. there's so many of them, and a lot of us get into just opening our email, trying to get through them on a daily basis, and so you might get snuck up on. But I think, well, I know you have to be very careful with your email. Um, you know, we set junk filters, we set spam filters, and they get through anyway. So I think a couple key areas I'd always say is, does your big boss email you for information that he needs right now with a link for you to click on it? If he doesn't or she doesn't, you probably shouldn't click on it. You know, so you should probably just delete that right away and re you can report it as well. Um, and most email clients have a report button that also blocks it and puts it into the trash. But other items that you can look at is, is the email address real? Is it from Microsoft at gmail.com or some crazy amount of letters and numbers at gmail.com. So some public domain that are free, they can just create as many as they want and then spam email across the, the world, basically. The other one is if you don't have Verizon and you're getting an email from Verizon that says your bills do, probably just delete it, right? So because you don't have Verizon, so there's no reason to look at it. My mother-in-law, for example, calls me and says, hey, I got this. I go, do you have that company as a client. You know, she goes, no. I said, okay, delete it. But she, she'll call me every time. I'd rather her do that than opening it and click on something. The other one would be if it's something urgent. So it has to be done immediately right now. You probably should maybe call the person. I've done that before. I've called my bank on an email saying, I see this, my account's been compromised. It doesn't look right. And some of these emails are really good. So even someone in my job, that this is my job, I'm like, this one looks really too good, and so let me just double check. But most time, your bank's not going to call and have your information submitted online. And if you're unsure, give people a phone call. Go check. Usually nothing's going to happen immediately. Uh, the IRS is not going to come and re repill your house immediately if you don't click on this link. So I think kind of a little bit of, we say common sense, but think about it. If you, does this request seem really odd? If it does, then it's not there. And then the last one I would just throw out here is if it's too good to be true, it is too good to be true. No one from Nigeria going to send you a million dollars if you send them $10,000 today. Those are just things that you stay, stay away from. Typically, these emails will have misspellings. They will not be written very well. They're very poorly written. 100% scams every single time. Just delete them. Anyway, those are my quick tips on uh, watching out for scams. So I hope that doesn't mean the $500 I sent to the Nigerian prince to get the gold bullion means it's not coming. I'm still going to hold out hope for that. Keep your fingers crossed, Connor. You never know. It actually made me feel a little better to hear that you were curious enough that you actually called your bank on some of these. Some of them do look really real. And honestly, getting back to our AI conversation, they're going to get better. They're going to start using AI to prompt these. You'll get less misspellings and things like that. So that's not a good thing, but definitely something to be aware of. I actually, I won't say which person in the district above me, but a certain person in the district above me sends me a, they don't, but I get an email from them. It looks like to my personal email, not my, not my work email. And 
it came through, and I thought, well, that's weird. I don't know why this person's emailing me here. And the subject line was, you know, here are the nine photos. You'll find five and six very interesting. And I was like, this what? And and it was exactly like you said. The email was not their email. It was a giant string of letters. Yeah, and just speaking of that, that's actually another common one is, is is looking for weird attachments. The emails that are scams want you to click on a link in order to transmit data to you or for you to fill out a form and give them information or the attachments open up. And once they open up, they're installing some kind of client. It could be a virus. It could be just sitting there for dormant. You know, you don't, you don't know. But anytime you had a weird attachment or someone that's sending you stuff that they just never send you, that's always a really good clue to either just delete it or, again, if you know the person, give them a call, especially if it looks too real. Again, check those email address returns. Uh, check the end of the email. A lot of times they'll even say at Microsoft, but it, instead of be, they'll misspell it. They'll leave out one letter in the Microsoft.com. So it's just they're, they're really good at just trying to trick you. At, if, again, if you're not expecting something, um, it's probably not real. That's some good advice. And we kicked things off today talking about your favorite tech as a kid. What drove you towards a career in school technology and what got you where you are today? In fact, if I'm not mistaken, you have local roots, Pierce College being one of them. I think I even saw your face on the cover of the alumni magazine. Talk us through your road to Bethel. Yeah, it's an interesting road. I actually have been here most of my life and career now at this point. I uh, actually moved here in 79 and started at Spanaway Elementary. Went to Spanaway Junior High and Spanaway Lake High School. You know you're old when two of the schools that you went to no longer exist. They do, but they're not. the building doesn't, right? And so they've been replaced. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do out of high school. So I ended up at Pierce College because I had to either go to school or go get a full-time job. And I didn't have a full-time job. So I played high school soccer, walked onto the, the men's team. And that kind of gave me a reason to be at Pierce College because I had no direction of what I wanted to do. Decided to major in business, and I was an accounting major. And then I wasn't sure that I wanted to work in an office. I was actually doing some assistant coaching, trying to look for something different. And I found a business education major at Central Washington. And so I finished that degree, went into business uh, education, started my career at Mount Tahoma High School, spent almost a decade there in Tacoma. And I taught tech classes there. We started the first web design class uh, with another teacher at uh, Wilson High School. The diversity of teaching not only accounting and business math and business writing, but also teaching uh, technology courses, which as the advent of building web pages with HTML, was kind of exciting for kids uh, at that time. I just enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed working with, uh, with students, and I went to a, a director internship for Career Tech Ed. So I was a vocational teacher when I started, and now it's called Career and Technical Education. And I was able to get a job at Bethel uh, as the director of Career and Tech Ed. Spent about nine, ten years there working with all of our technical programs from pre-medical to all our technology programs. And then um, had the opportunity to move into the technology department here in Bethel when we passed the tech levy in 2014 and lead that charge. So it's a large department to manage, but you know I have a great team. And so I just really enjoy the learning. I get to uh, stretch myself in the technology field. And, and it, since it changes all the time, it keeps it fresh. And there's never not a new challenge as we talk today. It's, just, it's exponential. And so it, it's been a really good field to move into. I, enjoy, I really enjoy it. So if my math checks out, you were CTE director around the time the Pierce County Skill Center came online. Were you involved in that process at all? Yeah, actually, uh, probably more than I thought I was ever going to be. We have a lot of industry with Boeing and, uh, and other manufacturers, and it's it was the right fit for us and gave us another, I think, offering that our district didn't have uh, locally to help get kids another career choice or career path that we, we might not normally have. 2009, it opened up. 
And now we have a, a waiting list. You know, we have over 600 students that attend a year, and uh, it's, yeah, it's a great program. Yeah, the Skill Center really is great, and it just keeps on growing. Thank you, voters, for that. And thank you, Mike Christensen, our Chief Technology Officer, for joining us today. It's been a blast. Oh, you're welcome. It was really uh, good to, to talk with you guys today, and I appreciate the time. Well, next week we have a very big show, lots of things to talk about that happened this summer. And Connor and I are going to talk about the most far-flung places we have ever traveled to. Mike, before we leave, you got an answer to that question? Yeah, I would say it's been a while now, though. I would say uh, Ishigaki, Japan is, is probably the farthest and longest trip I've ever had. And you have to fly into Tokyo, you fly into Okinawa, and then you fly again to Ishigaki. It's closer to Taipei than anything. So it's really basically in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, a blue zone area. People that live there have never seen snow. And they found me very interesting walking around there. I don't think it's a big tourist area as well, but that's a beautiful place. And that's where my uh, mother-in-law is from. And it was an exciting place to go, and yeah, if you ever get a chance to get off mainland, go to that definitely the islands, and they call that area the Asian uh, area of Hawaii. You got us beat. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> but tune in next week to see where Doug and I went. I, it's Toledo, I think. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody.